I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Well, I am here again with Adam Nosel, who was my first guest this season in season three. And the reason I asked him back was because the first conversation we had turned out to be two conversations, the first two episodes of the season. And they were really intended to set the tone, which was about how do we co-host and hold space for nourishing, nurturing conversations, particularly in which there isn't consensus in which we think different things about some really meaty topics like vaccination, like anything. You can name any number of topics that are going on in the world. Because I know both Adam and I feel that that's really important and particularly important right now, which is why we're here. So I'd been sitting with something and finally had a moment where I thought, and you know what, this is really important. We need to talk about that. And it's the the Joe Rogan Spotify hoo-ha where lots of very famous people who I respect, who I listen to, who I love, like Brene Brown, said some things that were very surprising to me. And it felt like there was a bit of a a moment of canceling somebody they disagreed with. And it it surprised me the way they went about it. So Adam and I are going to talk about this. And before I invite us all as listeners, as co-hosts of this absolutely unscripted episode. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, really. I propose just some some ground rules that I want to share with you as the listener. And that is, number one, we are not going to be overly careful out of fear. Because I think the way that you we can finally help to address cancel culture is to actually stop being afraid and stop canceling ourselves. Because we all need space to say things that we might be uncomfortable saying and to feel supported in having a debate, in having doubts about things, and disagreeing. So let's just have a go at this conversation and air it with minimal editing. The second point is that consensus isn't helpful in most areas. It's boring, and it creates a monoculture, and it creates conservatism that then hedges us in and keeps us from exploring and innovating and finding new ways of thinking and being that might be exactly where we need to go. And consensus is certainly not helpful when we're trying to figure out how to deal with a shift in everything that is making up our world. So we're not going to go for consensus. And you can disagree with things that we say, and that is okay. But if you do decide to reach out to either of us about it, please be kind, because we are seeking to hold space for kind conversations. And then the third point is how can we observe when fear wants to take over our thinking and our conversation and our reactions, if you're listening to this. So rather than be reactive, notice when you want to be reactive, notice when something triggers you. And I'm saying that's both me and Adam as well. Just be really present with ourselves and notice when we're triggered. And because actually when we're in reactive mode, we tend to be in mirroring mode as well. We are actually It turns us into what we say we hate. And so you can sort of step back and see that when you're looking at something dispassionately. But I just want us to be very present in this conversation and noticing what makes us afraid, what makes us feel good. And then 
we're going to start with some breathing together in a moment. And then finally, I, I said that my intention for this conversation is once again to model what a healthy, nourishing conversation about hard things looks like, because it's absolutely important to be able to do that. And I think it's something we have to work a bit harder at these days because we're so isolated from each other, because we exist in these social media echo chambers where it's so easy to only gather with and algorithms gather us with people who agree with us. So it's really important to be able to engage in a really kind fashion with people we might not agree with or to be fearless when we don't know the answers to things. So first of all, welcome, Adam. I am so delighted that you're back. You are a precious human and I, I really value you. And I'm really happy you made the time and the space when I know you've got a lot going on right now. Thank you, Betsy. Yeah, it's, it's a real, I think it's a real special thing to be on the receiving end of your request that I, that I would be the, the person that would be considered for this space. So, um, and by no means do I consider myself someone who is an expert at this. It's more, I'm one of the first who's willing to try and do it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody's an expert in this. Well, maybe some are, but I think it's more about giving everyone the confidence and role modeling this truth that you don't have to be an expert to have hard conversations and to create safe space for others mm. to have hard conversations and disagree. So let's start with some dropping in. Let's just take three deep breaths together. So if you're listening to this, settle in. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. If you're not driving or doing something that involves seeing things, maybe close your eyes, sit tall or lie down and take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Just take two more like that. Now just get present with yourself and notice how you feel in this moment. Not just in your head, but in your body. Find a sensation somewhere that connects you to your own feeling. And now join us in this conversation in which we explore the edges of our own comfort zones and maybe some uncomfortable topics for us, for you who are listening, but may it bring peace and some freedom to explore to someone listening. So how about we kick this off with just talking about what happened? If you're not familiar with the situation, Joe Rogan, I'm actually just going to read a little, a little, well, it's his apology. So I was surprised because Joe Rogan actually apologized after what happened. So he made a video uh, apologizing for his episode that aired with a doctor who is a world-leading expert, we're going to get to that, who has some currently unpopular ideas about the COVID vaccine in particular. And what happened next shocked me, but it was that a lot of well-known figures like Neil Young and Brene Brown left Spotify as artists, as influencers in protest for what they kept calling misinformation. And that was a red flag to me because that's a really dangerous word. Right now, that's, it's a canceling word. So Joe Rogan said he wanted to make a video, first of all, because I think there are a lot of people that have a distorted perception of what I do, maybe based on sound bites or based on headlines of articles that are disparaging. 
The podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation, specifically about two episodes, a little bit about some other ones, but specifically about two, one with Dr. Peter McCullough and one with Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Peter McCullough is a cardiologist and he is the most published physician in his field in history. Dr. Robert Malone owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology and is at least partially responsible for the creation of the technology that led to mRNA vaccines. Both these people are very highly credentialed, very intelligent, very accomplished people, and they have an opinion that's different from the mainstream narrative. I wanted to hear what their opinion is. I had them on. And because of that, those episodes in particular were labeled as being dangerous. They had dangerous misinformation in them. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID, you'd be removed from social media. They would ban you from certain platforms. Now that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now that's on the cover of Newsweek. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely. I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. I'm not interested in only talking to people that have one perspective. So that's Joe Rogan. And I just thought, I found myself thinking, eh, fucking men. Because that's what we talk about, Adam, about we're interested in the truth. And actually, I was speaking to a friend who's a medical professional the other day. That's also the scientific method. You test, maybe you fail, maybe you succeed, but you learn something and then you do it again and you learn more. And failure is actually success in science because you've learned something that moves you closer to what actually works and shutting down other options. There is no one solution in science and especially in medicine. So this idea that there's only one solution and that's become the narrative is really distressing, I would say, especially from the medical community, because we need them to be their most brilliant scientific selves and to be free to experiment. What was interesting was Brittany Brown's comments. And this is what kind of pushed me over the edge and made me think I need to talk about this she she criticized Joe Rogan for neglecting any quote any responsibility for the health information he amplifies while holding his podcasts and held him at least partially responsible for people getting sick and dying during the pandemic and in her initial post removing her podcast from Spotify she continually used the word misinformation and my issue with that was then that she Obviously, has long had an issue with Joe Rogan. Like I said, he's not my cup of tea either. But then that came into this whole situation where she talked about some of his past comments on trans people, on using pejorative racist language, which he has also since apologized for. But it felt like it kind of turned into a character assassination 
rather than just a discussion about this one thing that she felt very, she had strong disagreement with. And I just thought it shut down discussion. It made it a moral right or wrong situation. And I found that extremely unhelpful and also really dangerous in itself. Because if we don't have space for get, getting something wrong, we're not living in the kind of society I really want to be in because mm. I get things wrong all the time. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I mean, what's your take on that, Adam? Because I know you were saying before at Breast Record, you know what these doctors talk about. You know their research because you're coming at this from a perspective of having done a lot of research. So over to you. What do you think? It's something I've experienced in trying to figure out how to make sense of today, this hostility towards certain understandings. Um, so it certainly is present. And what's interesting when I hold it towards like my experiences, like there's, you know, censorship or cancel as, as we're using just now, but what concerns me more is when it's self-censorship. So when you end up in a situation where you just don't say things because you know they're like, it's not even going to be received. And like I've ventured into those spaces as well and had to come post them and, and ask myself, what are you contributing here and why are you not saying that? But in relation to like the situation with that's occurred here with Joe Rogan, like for me, it tends to be the guests that Joe Rogan speaks to that brings me into conversations to listen to it. But one thing I have quite appreciated is the process that he goes through. So, and for me, this is what I look for. Like if we can reach a position to say like today, there's a crisis in our discernment. You know, collectively, we are having real challenges at being able to discern what is real, what is right, what is serving us, what is harming us. And we've collectively arrived there together, you know, and if that was our, if that was our starting point for each other to then say, okay, if that's the case, what do we need to do? Or what are the processes that we should reach for? that would help us move through this process. And one of, I've actually seen some of those things that I think of in, in Joe Rogan's process. So not what they're saying, but the process of how they're, they're doing it. So one thing I quite admire about that process is it's quite a time rich experience. Mm. Anyone that comes into that process from my understanding has an unlimited length of time to speak about something. So often it me meanders, there's no um, time poverty or scarcity in that. So people will begin to talk and they'll reach a point of natural conclusion where it then the next person adds to it and the conversation becomes like a building block. And if you hold that towards some of our other in like spaces of interaction whether it's twitter or whether it's these debating shows on tv where it's you know they'll bring this expert on but you've only got 30 seconds to talk about something and then we go to an ad break you know so and the other thing i quite like about 
the process there as I've seen there's, and it's, I've only listened to it, I think. So it's the reference, there's someone else in the process that they often bring into the conversation and they ask, can you check if that's right? You know, can you check if that's right? Is what mm -hmm. they'll keep asking occasionally to this. And there's sometimes what guests have said and what Joe Rogan have said have not been. And that's dependent on that source of rightness, I'm guessing, is the internet. That person will be sitting at the internet and doing that. But what's nice is there's a mechanism of checking there. Mm. And the other ingredient I've seen, which I quite like in the process, is that there is, I've noticed sometimes a reference to when they've got things wrong. Mm-hmm you know, in later episodes. And I, I'm not an avid listener, but it just so happens that on some of the episodes I've listened to, they reference one that I've not listened to and they say, look, I got this wrong, you know, here and this and what I've changed it. But I think all of those things may not be even seen to be real by someone who is, who is coming quite quickly to this conversation and they just want, they're picking up on these points that these individuals are saying and they've deemed them to be dangerous so that's something that like when i hear this situation just now and these people who have who have are looking to move away from the, this or trying to stop this person from doing that there's elements in there that i think we should integrate into all conversations mm. in a way or all interactions that I wonder if they've acknowledged or allowed to be seen in this situation. And I will mention there's many things in there I could imagine that I wouldn't agree with from Joe Rogan's point of view. And interestingly, in, in this last couple of years, in my research and in spaces of listening to new podcasts and following trails of thoughts, you know, I've, I've been in podcasts and I've heard an advert come on for like handguns. <laughs> what podcast were you listening to i don't i can't even recall but i remember the moment when it came on and i was like oh this is a place i've not ventured in this is a part of town i've not visited much <laughs> you so know i wouldn't really describe myself as being their target audience but i think for me it just showed a willingness to try and move into conversations that i wasn't used to or places that i don't typically feel safe in or that, but I think there's been a big change in positions or foundations of thought just now that are causing a lot of concern. Like what, what would you use in, as an example? I think the biggest one just now I've seen mostly playing out is, I think we've had a, a very sort of naive reach for certainty during a completely changing process. And I think that's been to our detriment almost, but at the same time, I think people have played into that, you know, many governments and institutions of power around the world have simultaneously claimed that this is a completely unforeseen and uh, novel event on our earth, but yet we know exactly how to deal with it. And you know, and those two things don't go hand in hand with me. And I think what that's led to is difficulty in 
when we do need to be agile, when we've prematurely reached for a solid foundation that isn't there in our, in our thinking. And then what we then do is layer our other insecurities that we've got up about needing to be seen to be right, needing to be seen to be in control and things like that. They then get layered on top of that situation, which I don't think has been serving us too well. Just yeah, during this event. It is like a dog pile of our insecurities and our collective shadows and our individual shadows. And I think that's a really good point. And I like your term, naive reach for certainty. Because then everything gets oversimplified and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Well, you've solved that in one policy document or one press release and, and now we can move on. We can get back mm -hmm. to our lives. We can rebuild. But it's still messy and it's still going to be messy for a while. But it's also interesting to realize how lucky, and, and I don't use the word privileged as a bad thing right now, but how privileged we've been to have lived in such seeming certainty and safety at least in our part of the world, you know, where we haven't had a major war in our lifetime that has been on our own, you know, territory. And we've gotten to live such beautiful, easy lives that are, you know, we trust the government, we trust lots of people we probably shouldn't have trusted. And now who do we trust? Where is the certainty? But I guess it's, I like what you said about what you appreciate about the Joe Rogan process and how there is room to admit you're wrong. But this also makes me wonder something that I've been pondering, which is, you know, 11 million listeners to Joe Rogan. That is a lot of people. And it's not a new phenomenon. In fact, it's probably as old as time that not everyone is going to do their due diligence. So there is an element of people will just take whatever they listen to from whomever and just swallow it as fact. And that is a problem because there's now such a deluge of information that people are taking on. You know, as opposed to back not even that long ago when you had to buy a newspaper and read it. You had to buy a magazine and read it. And now you can access so many sources of unchecked information and not have to check it and then go repost it somewhere and it spreads like wildfire. So there, we do have to be careful about words and information. But how do, I mean, I don't have an answer for this and I doubt you do. But how do we handle the need to have some due diligence in, I don't know, general culture? Because a lot of people are never going to, you know, fact check. They're not going to think twice about what somebody they trust says. So how do we find a balance where we're not spreading information that isn't necessarily true or could lead to some people overreacting or doing something? out of fear to other people while celebrating and holding space for free speech and exploration and people we disagree with. I don't know how we do that in the internet age. Yeah, I think like what came to me there was like in relation to Brenny Brown and, you know, and her like honoring what her position that she's taken there where she wants to, to move away from this and, and stop this because of it being dangerous where I actually don't want that to be taken away from me. I almost want to stand in that and say, no, I want to, to know what this is. 
I want to be afforded the opportunity to be wrong on, and, you know, and I appreciate, you know, people guiding information out of the understanding of protection of myself or others. But I think it leads us into a situation if we're constantly like trying to decide in real time, you know, what is true, what is not true, what is misinformation, what is not. Our conversations almost become stewarded by like accountants of language, you know, where we start to dissect everything that we want to say. And what was interesting, like, because you mentioned sort of, you know, the, this change in media and how we have the likes of, you know, 12 million listeners. Did you, was that what? Yeah. What well, it was, just now? yeah. And um, how that differs to a single newspaper that would arrive in a community at one stage or, you know, at, at the local shop in, in a relatively short space of time. But then at the same time, you know, like one of the episodes I did listen to that I was interested in with Joe Rogan was of, I think it would need to check the exact name, but I believe the gentleman worked for the CNN mm. and he was a, a medical professional and it was post Joe Rogan's like acknowledgement that he used a, a whole host of medication uh, to, when he had COVID to treat it. And of that, it was of a, a, a drug called ivermectin, I mm. think, at the time. And what was interesting about that conversation, because Joe Rogan was stand, saying, you guys called this a horse dewormer. Yeah. And what's interesting with that is, and it show, goes to show you the spectrum of what could be considered truth and not. There is truth in that because that is used in my understanding is in veterinary practices but then it's also got a huge history of being used in humans for many different things which you did which, not see in the news at that time yeah so it goes to sh like it's almost like truth is becoming weaponized in, in some areas of our conversation and the invitation for us to stand with each other in in a time of huge complexity is not being accepted by most in that side. But then like when I look to places to say, where is modeling that, you know, I think it's hard to see what that looks like. You know, if we're trying to look to places of, if you look at our government, like of what's televised of our political debates where you have jeering and this sort of theatrical display to slander each other and so on. And actually the place that I see most of these conversations being modeled is in my friends group. Yeah. You know, and even the other day I watched a documentary by a gentleman called Louis Theroux. Oh, I love and, Louis Theroux. Yeah. And it was real challenging to watch the topic that the, the people were, he was interviewing, he deeply disagreed with. You know, he said, and there was even a part in there where he said, I fundamentally disagree with almost everything you stand for. But what I really do admire is there was an underbody of respect, you know, that th that still stayed there and there was still a connection of humanity that existed there. 
That is a beautiful example, actually, because Louis Theroux has his own podcast as well. Mm. But what I've always loved about his documentaries, and if you don't know Louis Theroux, follow him on social media, but dig up his work because you're right. He goes into situations in which he's there to just be curious. And it doesn't mean he's undercover. It doesn't mean he pretends he agrees with things he doesn't. It doesn't mean he's not uncomfortable and shows it. Because I remember when he spent time living at a, a brothel in the Nevada desert and sort of investigating, you know, who are the clients? Who are the, the people who work there? And, and what's the situation like? And it was just so interesting to watch him, sort of a well-educated English shy guy, get just really uncomfortable sometimes. But he holds space for discomfort and for just being curious. And Adam, you're always just so quotable, quotable. I like how you said we can stand with each other in a time of huge complexity. And I was thinking the same thing you said about like, where do you find that in your friend group? But that also presupposes you have some friends with whom you can disagree. Because I've found I have a significant amount of my friend group here in Barcelona. My really close female friends have chosen, they've decided not to get vaccinated. And I really respect that. But there came a point where I was like, I'm really tired of having to plan my life around whether that we can go somewhere that won't ask for COVID passports to go get coffee or whatever. And I was just like, ah, I didn't want to get vaccinated, but I decided to so I could go see my godchildren in France because France is acting crazy about all of this. But I talked to one of my friends about it who is very well informed, former medical professional and hasn't been vaccinated because they're going through fertility treatment right now. Didn't want to mess with that in any way. And I, I finally just kind of cut loose. I let myself be irritated. And I realized how much I was holding back, how much I was not saying, because I was like, I want to respect everyone's opinion. I don't want to be offensive. And I was like, oof, I realized I had a, an opinion. And then I just felt so relieved because then we had this really lovely back and forth in which she's like, I see where you're coming from. If you want to read this, read this. Then we disagreed on some things and it was such a relief. It was actually kind of a healing experience because if you bottle up the disagreements and forget that the people who disagree with you are still your friends or they're human beings who you probably connect with on a whole, whole lot of different levels, that's when you started to dehumanize other people. So get out there and, and find a way because I'm thinking, you know, I would love to give listeners something to think about and do. Find someone you disagree with. Find a podcast that's going to have adverse that you're just like, whoa, I am totally not their target audience. Because I'm, you know, I listen to podcasts by people I agree with and would have on this podcast. And I find I, right now I'm not listening to a lot of them because I'm a little bored with the consensus. So I was like, mm. I'm just going to wade in there and find some podcasts that challenge me, you know, that are maybe way right of center or sort of more libertarian because it will stir my thinking. And it will help me to understand other people better, which is so important. But in a way, I wonder if like that in itself, like we should consider that almost as a gym mm -hmm. of conversations where actually like we're having those challenging conversations I've found is not usually something you need to seek out is they tend to occur like the one that we ended up in it, when we were beginning this conversation the first time yeah. that wasn't even on my radar to speak about my choices of vaccination or not. And then all of a sudden we ended up in this one 
<laughs> we ended up at the gym. We didn't even know where to go. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel that was definitely the, that wasn't the gym. That was the performance. You know, that was the, that was the stadium. <laughs> yeah. No dress rehearsal, no prep. Right. Here we are. Yeah, that, we did. We had a total moment because we were just, for those of you who haven't listened to the first couple episodes of the season, Adam and I were having a lovely catch up as we always do. We always spend a couple of hours. It ends up being long and beautiful and rich. And like, we just dive straight into the deep stuff. But we were surprised kind of to discover that we had a little moment where we were like, I had assumed because I like Adam and I consider him somebody who's a lot like me. We had made the same decision about the vaccine. So we kind of it was the beginning of season three. It, it suddenly helped me to understand what I needed to talk about in that season because, yeah, it was the beginning of like, whoa, okay. Because we had to pull it back. We had to be like, are we going to keep talking about this? Or is it going to get weird between us? And then we decided not to let it. So I love that gym analogy. That's such a good one. Because yeah, yeah. it. Like with that, our conversation there, that was certainly nothing that was, it wasn't what I was seeking to find and discover, yet we ended up in one and there was a definite moment where I felt the wobble and I was like, and I even started saying to myself, are we going to come back from this? Because this wasn't even recorded. This is pre the, this was talking about what we were going to talk about essentially. And then when your invitation came through to speak about that, uh, I think I've spoken briefly in the last one where I found myself being very threatened about that. Because at that time to, and probably still less so now, but it was not a very desirable thing to publicly admit at, mm -hmm. at that time and to, to say these reasons for choosing not to do that and for doing other things. This was all of like five months ago, which is like... 50 years in COVID time. Yeah. yeah. And I've had similar conversations as well, interestingly. And, but what I've been amazed about is they've all come, they have all come through that, you know, and our relationship exists post those moments. And, but then when I sort of look at the sort of what's taking place in the world just now, you know, you mentioned previously about like dehumanizing, you know, it's, like when it seems to be very prevalent just now and and I actually find myself doing something that I haven't done for a number of years as I wrote to my members of parliament I, I spent a considerable amount of time crafting this letter and it came about the time where I think there was some I, I believe in Canada there was individuals they i think was it the prime minister there was equating everyone who chosen not to be vaccinated as misogynist as racist and then yeah. and then the prime minister of the united kingdom they say they, they used their own language i think he, like boris johnson said these people just spend their time talking jibber jabber or something i think that was his language he chose on and then the french prime minister i think essentially, yeah, say that these are no longer French citizens and we're going to do whatever we can to piss these people off. Yeah, to make it a very difficult environment in which to be unvaccinated. Yeah, yeah that shocked the hell out of me. France, of all places, would have a liberté. Yeah. Mm. So I actually spent like a number of attempts, like four attempts, I think, 
and on the fifth attempt, I crafted a letter, which was calling, yeah, which included various different things in it. But what I was more interested about in, in that process was trying to say, was trying to reach going, have I inadvertently done the same type of behavior here? You know, have I displayed this in other areas that I'm unaware of? You know, and that was part of my process to try and not allow myself to become too far away from a human being who is essentially publicly wanting to piss off all his citizens and consider them not all his, but a lot and all these things. And, you know, you go searching for that. And at that time, I couldn't find anything on that. But what I did find was because part of my letter was also speaking about this like this trend and I think sort of I don't know it's like belittling citizens you know where the 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 a lot of the press conference we're making this decision on you because we don't believe that you can do this and you know if you do that then it as long as you behave we'll we'll take these laws out and you know it was it was a really unusual type of relationship that I witnessed there. So I was sort of, I wanted to call some of that and just name it and say, this is not acceptable for me and lines have been crossed here. But when I was asking, like, have I seen that in myself? And, you know, I had to acknowledge that I have, you know, like sometimes parenting, I'll, will be like, you can't have that now unless you do your room or you can't do and I, and when I heard myself doing that, I was like, oh my goodness, it's not in the same environment, but it's the same spirit of energy. And that process that I go through is one where it, I think it's aimed to try and close the gap between the person who I think is different to me. Um, but interestingly, with that process of writing the letter, I sent it. And I think I got some replies, but interestingly, the other, the four attempts previously to the fifth one that I sent felt equally as impactful as the one that did get sent. So I think it, it goes to show like when we're talking about sort of people leaving Spotify to try and create change or thing, I think change happens on levels that we don't fully quite understand. Energetic, um, you mean? Yeah, yeah, we're kind of moving all over the place. But one, going back into Canada, one thing I found interesting about what's taking place there just now was that the people involved in the protests or the peaceful process or, or whatever it's been categorized as was they mentioned this, this, this ritual that they went through is every day they get together and they meet and they, they say a prayer just to allow us to make the right decision today and, you know, and to do things like that. And interestingly, I do the same. So before we came together, before we did our breathing, you know, I sat down for 10 minutes and just said, you know, can we welcome my ancestors in? Can we welcome the ancestors of, of Betsy and allow us to, you know, say what needs to be said and to save what is required to be heard, you know, and just guide us in that. And 
you know, even a process like that, I don't think it guarantees you, you speaking, but I think it's honoring that process. And I think that's important to me. It's just the basis of connected human conscious communications that is, I mean, this is your work. It's how we've lost a lot of that with technology and it, because it's so easy to lose unless we have that discomfort practice of remembering and choosing to connect with other humans virtually, energetically, or in real life, but also to, I love how you raised this and I, I don't want to soundbite it too much because it was beautifully complex, but about remembering, always remembering that whatever you see in someone else that you take issue with is probably in you too. And I think that's a really hard pill for people to swallow unless it's already part of their practice. And it's hard for me and it is part of my practice of like sitting with the things that trigger me and being like, the reason this triggers me is because it's somewhere in me. Mm. It's because it, 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 it really pokes some unhealed part of me or some unacknowledged part of me. And I think that's really important. If that doesn't make sense to you now as a listener, sit with that and just start to process it and see how maybe that comes up in your life to be to be seen when you feel in your body, when you feel reactive or when you just do react. Why? Where do you actually find that thing in yourself? Where, where is it actually in you? You know, and it might not, don't take it too literally. Don't look for like, well, this person said this thing. I would never say that thing. No, no. Where is it coming from? Is it coming from, is somebody's reaction to a differing narrative from theirs in any area coming from? fear or wanting to be seen or it's somewhere you know it always comes from somewhere deeper it's the conversation is just like the icing on the cake it's just the surface so what's under that and then understand what's under that from someone you disagree with and then maybe maybe you'll start to see where that is in you too and actually it's a really beautiful thing to understand and uncover because it does allow you to connect with like wow i I think of you as somebody who's completely too, you know, like far right or whatever, but actually I now understand that that comes from a concern about keeping your family safe, keeping your heritage safe, blah, 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 whatever it is. But it, it allows you to calm down and see things a bit more clearly. And I mean, literally calm down, you know, your nervous system will feel better when you take a breath and you can sort of acknowledge that someone else has their experience and their truth, even if it's different from yours. And that actually you can connect with that at some level. As you said, we're meandering all over here, but I think I wanted this to just be a modeling a rich conversation about some hard things that are going on in the world. So I don't know where this is going next, but it feels like I've said kind of what I needed to say. And I really hope that this is feeding someone out there with, I could have a conversation like this with my friends. I just need space to process things. You, you get off social media. If you're tired of sound bites and lack of complexity, take a break and have some real conversations with actual people in real life is what I would say, because it's impossible to deal with complexity on social media. So that's stop number one on top tips from today. But yeah. Well, I mean, thoughts, Adam, over to you. There is one thing like that I hold when I go into conversations or that may be of use to some people if it's not a practice that they already do. But one thing I've noticed in myself and you'll tell with the 
the large pauses between my words is often I acknowledge just the complexity to speak in human language that we are, we have this very narrow vocabulary, despite the fact that there's multiple languages and we have an existence and experience that sits behind them that has to squeeze through this very small funnel of communication. And then equally that's then to be received in another funnel of articulation and understanding. And then somehow sense and a reality is to coexist between those two entities. And like, I frequently miss when I try to <laughs> articulate what I'm experiencing. And you'll see it sometimes midway through me talking, I'll be like, oh, I've hit the post on that one. You know, <laughs> oh, that, like that's gone. And, and you'll it will build in frustration when you're trying to, and I see that modeled so much in, in my daughter as well. You know, when you're still a learner in language almost at that primitive age and you've got fewer words to use and you see the frustration build up. But for me, what it does is it, is I don't hold, I don't hold what others say too tightly mm. and, and equally I don't hold what I say is the true thing of what I'm experiencing and somewhere between that exists the possibility of communication that's foundation does not sit on spoken language you know and like a, a real example of this would be like I've been fascinated with change, how change occurs. You know, we talk about impact and all these things. So I've just watched like my life over the last nine years to see, well, when did things occur? Did they occur because I applied force to them? You know, cause that's our understanding of how these things happen. You know, we'll apply more force if we have more like the narrative more vaccinations will free us from this more carbon accounting will do this. You know, it's, it's more this, it's power over these things or, but then equally like some of the biggest changes have happened in my life when I've completely given up or I've been on my knees in the darkest moment and things. And one of the big things that occurred with us was it. We're about three years into trying to navigate being parents and sleeping wasn't going well. So, you know, for about three years, we hadn't slept for a full night. And it wasn't that our, our daughter didn't sleep. She did sleep, but she was always up at least two or three times every night. And we got to the stage where like it just sort of, there was just this eruption in the house, right? That's it. And you know that there's an understanding in, or uh, in bringing up children where, right, if you just leave them in the room, you know, they'll cry out. And if you do that for X amount of time, it will be fine. And we were always like so opposed to that going, this doesn't feel, but it got to that stage of com complete desperation and exhaustion that this was being considered, you know, right, that's it. And 
you know, that day we're like, right, we've got a week off together here. Let's start that. And remember the reluctancy of doing it, you know, and that very night, that very, very night, our daughter slept the whole night and did so from that point forward. And I was sitting thinking, going, well, that impact of change took place out of language because like our daughter was three, still couldn't quite. So there was another mechanism of change or coming together or understanding in that relationship that took place there. And I think that's what makes, when I see like what's taken place in Canada just now, where there is a relationship, which is, is really at its ends, you know, between the citizen and the government there. And this, this is equally like I've seen trends of this all over where the relationship between government and citizens seems to be at its all time low and citizens and governments is not. But like in moments like that, you know, are we holding this, like the, the spirit of what I've just spoken about there, you know, when we go into these conversations that like, we can't see everything, we can't hear everything and we can't know everything, but we can honor all that while we're having these conversations. Uh, well, if we go ahead and keep talking. I have something I want to add, but. I don't want to stop you, Adam. You always just, I love the things you share. But it just made me think of, I love what you said, don't hold what others say too tightly. But that whole point and illustration of how conversations are energetic too. Mm -hmm. And that it's not just about words is so important because with what intention do you go out into the world? And what if everybody listening to this episode right now were to set an intention to communicate well and openly and in a nurturing way with everyone they meet, whether they use words or not, I'd be interested to know what happens. Because, I mean, we both meditate. I teach meditation. I sit in silence with people an awful lot. And there's a whole conversation happening in the room. And once you're in tune to that, you can feel it. But it also is just every day walking down the street. It's body language. It's pheromones. It's energy. It's whatever you want to call it, there's so much, even while connecting virtually, you know, there's so much going on that isn't just words. And in our last conversation, we talked about exploring concepts that we don't have language for yet. Because mm. language is the last thing to come. It's the... It's always late to every party. <laughs> yeah. But all, also, we have been trained as sort of enlightenment era beings to try to put language to everything, even if it's not ready yet. You know, it's sort of like icing a half-baked cake. Just wait. Wait for it to be done. It's going to be much better that way. But maybe, and I think we could go on for hours, so I think we'll draw this to a close soon, but I just think a really, one of a good few final thoughts to leave with is let things take time and don't always try to trap them with language. Don't always try to make them, it's, it's kind of binary, isn't it? It's just like we have to put language on this in order to understand it. Because we often in our culture don't have space for any kind of understanding of what goes on in our brain. Mm. So leave space for other types of understanding or not knowing. Leave space for not knowing. Get to the gym and start practicing being in uncomfortable conversations and you'll get better and better at it. 
there are so many good points that have come out. I'm just like, oh my God, the social media posts on this one are going to be great. I've already got quotes from you. Is there anything final you'd like to leave people with? As we talked about, you know, cancel culture and how to get it wrong so you can get it right. And just where do you want to, where do you want to leave this? Probably just there, I think. And to anyone listening, that was actually a pause. That was not anything going wrong with the internet. Yeah, let's leave it there. There's a lot to feel. I feel a lot right now, actually. And I feel it in the center of my chest. I feel a little bit in my belly. And there's a lot to just sit with and process because I'm not even sure what we just said yet. And I don't have to. I'm just going to let it filter through and land where it needs to. So to anyone listening to this, do the same. Maybe rewind, listen to this again and feel. Feel your way through this conversation and train yourself to feel conversations rather than just speak them. So, Adam, thank you again. I always love connecting with you. It's just, it's a magical space for me because I feel held and I hope you feel held as well to explore and to be safe and to say what needs to be said, to not say what isn't ready to be said and to have some nurturing conversations so thank you again for being here and thank you for your time and your wisdom thank you betsy thanks for getting uncomfortable with me if you enjoyed this episode follow and like the discomfort practice wherever you listen to podcasts leave me a five star and written review and share this with other people help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast and for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable.